Welcome to another episode of Microbe Mail. I'm your host, Vindana Chibabai. Susceptible, resistant, sensitive, intermediate, susceptible, dose-dependent. Terms I'm sure you've heard thrown about when discussing microbiology reports. To make matters more confusing, you also sometimes hear talks about MICs. So first things first, let's just correct the issue of the term sensitive. Basically, it isn't a thing. The correct term is susceptible. And there's nothing that sends shiver down the spine of a purist microbiologist than hearing someone say that an antibiotic tested sensitive. I know this is something that is definitely a pet peeve of my guest today. Today, I'm speaking to Dr. Warren Lohman. Warren is a microbiologist at PathCare for Mark and Partners and a consultant clinical microbiologist at the Witz Donald Gordon Medical Center. He's also a lecturer at the Department of Clinical Microbiology and Infectious Diseases at WITS. Welcome to Microbial, Warren, and thanks for joining me. Hi, Vin. Thank you very much for the invitation. It's great to be here. As always, before we start this discussion, I've got a couple of reminders for you. Remember to sign up on our website to receive email updates of new episode releases, as well as our episode storyboards. Look out for Microbial on Pinterest. We've created a board which contains all of our storyboards. Remember, you can also follow Microbial on social media. All the links to our pages and sites are available in the episode show notes. As always, Microbial is the sharing kind of germ. So go ahead and share these links and episodes with anyone who may be interested in our content. Microbial is available on all podcast platforms anywhere in the world. Okay, Warren. Are you ready to take the mic? Yes, Vin. Let's do it. Did you see what I did there? Mic, MIC. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Just uh, trade sensitively, please. Trade susceptibly, you mean. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I think we kind of have to start right at the beginning. What is an MIC? How is it different from other antimicrobial susceptibility testing methods? How is it determined and how is it reported? So I think to start at the beginning, MIC, as you say, um, is the crux of it all. And it really stands for minimum inhibitory concentration. The important thing about the MIC is that it forms the basis of all other methods of antimicrobial susceptibility testing. So it's the so-called uh, gold standard or reference method. We derive an MIC using a method called broth or agar dilution, the so-called reference method. And it's against these particular methods that all other antimicrobial susceptibility testing methods are compared and evaluated against. Right. So really in essence, your, your other methods of, of antimicrobial susceptibility testing utilize the MIC comparisons to determine how good that method is for classification into our interpretive categories of, as you mentioned earlier, susceptible or resistant. Here is often the difference is other methods may only report an interpretive category. Uh, so they may only give you a result of S. I or R, 
Whereas an MIC assigns an actual numerical value in reported in micrograms per mil or, or grams per liter together with the interpretive category. Thanks, that was a really good way to start. And just to remind our listeners that in fact, on a day-to-day -day basis, um, they usually will see those methods that only report on the interpretive category. Yes, that's 100%. So then should we maybe move on to discussing the accuracy of the MIC and whether the method used to determine the MIC actually makes a difference or not? Yeah, uh, certainly even. Um, I think, uh, I mean, it's important to remember that uh, susceptibility testing is, is not an, an exact science. Uh, it's really an applied science. And this is because we are in essence dealing with uh, a biological entity that is the bugs there are millions of bugs that you actually test in any antimicrobial susceptibility um, testing method that you're using uh, and yeah. given that this is a biological entity there, there's variability on a day-to-day -day basis in in the testing of of these organisms so the mic for any drug bug combination can in fact vary by a twofold dilution on either side. That is a variation that can occur from day to day or from test to test. Uh, and, and this variation is actually perfectly acceptable. Um, we, we acknowledge it and we would accept it. We also must keep in mind that in, in determining MICs, we actually use an arbitrary uh, measurement scale of, of two to the power N. So MICs are, are reported always in a particular format of like 0.5124. So it's always in that, um, we, we always give an MIC value <clears throat> stated as such. But in yeah. fact, the MIC could be somewhere in between. I mean, it could be three or five or, 1.5, who knows? Um, mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, so, that, so that's really the, the, the variation and, and, and the, the means to which we determine the MIC. I think that, um, you know, as stated, the, the broth or agar dilution methods are the reference methods, though. And, and in terms of reproducibility, despite the variability that we see, they are the most robust methods for MIC determination and therefore remain the gold standard. And, on, and because of their reliability, um, they allow us to uh, really align MIC values with interpretive categories uh, which take into account a variety of other factors in the determination of our clinical breakpoints. Okay, so that's quite an important message, I think, for the clinicians to understand that, you know, we do this twofold dilution. And also just for the clinicians mm. out there, if an MIC doesn't make sense, you know, pick up the phone and call your friendly microbiologist to make sense of what you're seeing. Now, when we think of antimicrobials, we don't look at them in isolation as they affect a pathogen, but they also have an effect on the human body. Um, and I think a lot of students and maybe even clinicians shudder when the words PK and PD are mentioned, essentially pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics. But in order to actually properly understand the clinical importance of the MIC, we do need to speak about what the relationship is between the MIC and PKPD. So can you talk us through that briefly? Yes, uh, sure. Then this is 
Um, this is really an evolving field um, in, in use of antimicrobials and in um, antimicrobial susceptibility testing. Uh, and it's something that I'm particularly interested in and it's close to my heart. And I think it's spurred by the recognition that these, uh, what we call PKPD targets, the pharmacokinetic, pharmacodynamic targets um, of antimicrobial if efficacy um so so we actually look at um our the, the pkpd of particular antibiotics uh, in relation to particular bugs um and and those targets determine the efficacy of the antimicrobials and it's and it's through this um, recognition of these pkpd targets that we've actually seen a substantial revision of clinical breakpoints um, through the years if you look at breakpoints from 10 20 years ago uh, things that we reported susceptible back then today may not be reported they might actually be reported as resistant and that's at the same mic so and and this is really through application of pkpd uh I think uh, that there's, a, there's plenty of experimental as well as clinical data that clearly supports the relationship between the MIC of an organism and the drug's pharmacodynamic correlate. So these particular pharmacodynamic correlates are uh, the three main ones that, that we use um, and that are defined, and they are this concentration MAC or maximal concentration Cmax to MIC ratio. Mm -hmm. There's the percentage free time above MIC as the second one. And the third one is the area under curve, the concentration over a 24-hour period to, 20, to MIC ratio. So those are the, those are the three parameters. Um, and each parameter is reflective of how best to use that particular drug. So with a Cmax to MIC, you want this, that's a concentration-dependent agent. Its maximum effect is the higher concentration. So the higher the concentration uh, you can get, let's say, in the serum, the more effective that agent is. This obviously has to be balanced by toxicity. So we can't just whack patients with massive doses of, of antibiotics because there are, yes. as you mentioned, um, uh, effects on on the human body itself and that's where we see the adverse events of antibiotics but if you want to use a drug and um, that is a that has cmax to mic as its pharmacodynamic correlate you must try maximize the actual um dose that you give in, uh, so that you get as high a concentration as possible I think it's if you if you if you talk about the relationship um, to the MIC and why it's so important to these, as you can see in each of the three correlates, the MIC is central. Um, it's always mm -hmm. a ratio to the MIC. So knowing the MIC becomes a potentially powerful tool in in dose optimization and in ensuring that you achieve the the pharmacodynamic uh, target for that particular antibiotic. That was really excellent explanation of that concept, Warren, and I think everyone's really going to enjoy that, that um, insert. When are MIC-based antimicrobial choices important? So meaning when does the MIC matter? And, you know, we could even go into specific clinical infections. Mm. 
Yeah, no, that's a it's a good question, Lynn, because it doesn't always matter. I mean, for many, uh, you know, the, the breakpoints that that are defined uh, obviously take into account a particular MIC, and for many. Um, infection, simply knowing that it's susceptible or resistant is, is good enough. Uh, I, in terms of where does the MIC really matter and become uh, crucial, I try to keep it relatively simple and I, and I, 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 I stratify it into two broad scenarios. So number one is in our, our critically ill patients. Um, and the second one are our so-called difficult to treat infections. Uh, these, okay. these scenarios um, <clears throat> are, are particularly important because there, there are other factors that come into play that will impact how we use that antimicrobial and how to achieve um, those pharmacodynamic uh, targets. So, so to simply classify the drug as susceptible in those particular scenarios uh, may not be good enough. So if we take the okay. critically ill patients, so we're looking at ICU um, patients, patients with severe illness, there are multiple pathophysiological disturbances in these patients uh, that would influence the ability to achieve those PKPD targets that we that we targeting. Um, and therefore you potentially get suboptimal exposure to the antimicrobial, with the resultant poor clinical response. We must remember these patients have often have major pharmacokinetic disturbances. So the, the, the well-established and understood pharmacokinetics of a drug, um, which is usually determined in our healthy volunteers, um, does not apply yeah. necessarily in, in, in the case of a patient who's critically ill. In our, in our, in the second scenario is like a difficult to treat infections. I mean, that's a broad term. What I mean by that is I'm, I'm talking about either you have uh, resistant organisms, so multi-drug resistant organisms, which as you well aware is an increasing problem these days. Uh, and here susceptible is not always just good enough because the organism may be susceptible but it's bordering right on, let's say, the clinical breakpoint. So the, the, the probability of achieving your pharmacodynamic target is potentially lessened, um, and you really have to ensure that dosing is, is optimized. Um, <clears throat> it also relates to uh, specific infection types where you have secluded sites um, where uh, the potential of the drug getting to the site of infection uh, may be compromised. These are infections such as, uh, you know, in the, in the central nervous system, meningitis, um, secluded sites like uh, periprosthetic joint infections. Uh, you, mm -hmm. it's, it, again, it can be difficult to achieve the pharmacodynamic target um, if, if the drug exposure is not sufficient. And, and here, I think that knowing the MIC and having it at hand can assist you not only in choosing the correct agent, um, but also helping you to dose that drug effectively to ensure that you achieve or, or as best as possible um, achieve the pharmacodynamic target uh, for that particular drug bug combination. Okay. So that was a good background into when to use it. Can you give us maybe a specific example? And I thought maybe the best way to look at it would be to mm. take one community 
infection and maybe look at one healthcare-associated infection. So, for example, maybe from the community, a community-acquired pneumonia might be a good example. It's something common that clinicians see all the time. Um, and in the hospital setting, healthcare-associated sepsis is also pretty common. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, look, I think I think I just want to say, I mean, uh, let's look at the examples, but I think broadly speaking, you know, at present, any drug where we can do therapeutic drug monitoring, it would be preferable to have an MIC to guide um, to guide your dosing, um, because then you can really target the PKPD parameter to optimize efficacy. Um, so, like for in hospital patients, um, where you 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 have patients in hospital, you can do bloods where this is possible. I think it's it's worth doing. Like I said, though, not for every single infection do you need MICs because many infections are treated on an outpatient uh, basis, and and we don't need to do mm-hmm. a whole lot of monitoring. Um, <clears throat> Unfortunately, obviously, our options for therapeutic drug monitoring are, are quite limited, and uh, this is obviously something that needs to be addressed for the future. Uh, but if we if we think about um, specific um, scenarios where MIC-based dosing is crucial, um, and in your ex- uh, or your uh, example of let's say community-acquired pneumonia, so. Let's say a community-acquired pneumonia that's severe in an elderly patient um, who actually warrants admission to 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 an, to um, to hospital, um, and may even yeah. require escalation into an ICU. So let's take um, Streptococcus pneumonia, which we know is probably the commonest uh, bacterial cause of of uh, community-acquired pneumonia. We know that there's this uh, 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 reduce susceptibility to the penicillins um, in pneumococcal um, isolates. Uh, this is well established, a lot to do with uh, outpatient use of antimicrobials, especially your beta-lactams. So now you have an organism that's causing a severe pneumonia, and, and this, this happens not too infrequently. Patient gets admitted, they get started on, let's say, a, a amoxicillin clavulanic or kefiroxine, which may be, uh, you know, recommended first-line guidelines uh, as as per CAP guidelines, treatment for uh, community-acquired pneumonia, and the patient's not uh, responding as one might expect. The next day, they've actually worsened. Now, um, one might even escalate them to a third-generation kefalosporin like keftriaxone. Now, what we know is with many of these isolates with reduced susceptibility to penicillins, that's due to the altered penicillin binding proteins. And this impacts to some extent on on other beta-lactams, including your kephalosporins. Now, in a patient who then, let's say, has an inflammatory response, they're systemically very unwell and and is progressing into sepsis. Like I say, those those, um, scenarios of the pathophysiological uh, disturbances come into play. And a dosing, let's say, of of keftriaxone might be given once daily. That is a recommended dose. One gram once daily may not be sufficient based on uh, the MIC of that organism because let's say it's no longer specifically um, 
a wild type organism, it has some reduced susceptibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's in those scenarios with, let's say, with a community-acquired pneumonia patient that's escalated that requires critical care that you would want to actually choose an antimicrobial where the MIC is, is lowest and, and your ability or, or probability, let's say, of achieving the pharmacodynamic target, uh, which, as we know, cephalosporins are time-dependent, so they they pharmacodynamic correlatives percentage-free time above MIC. And we know where the cephalosporins, in fact, they require the highest percentage-free time above the MIC, 60 to 70%. Um, so you're, if, if you're dealing with an organism that already has an elevated MIC, because um, it's not uh, fully wild type, and you then dosing it in a patient who is uh, severely ill, um, and there are pharmacokinetic disturbances, your ability to achieve that 60 to 70% time above MIC is, is compromised and the dosing has to be spot on. Right. Now, if you have an MIC, one can, uh, one can then say, well, maybe I should be using this agent because the MIC is low and my ability to uh, achieve that target is, uh, the odds are better, basically. Mm-hmm. So it comes down to a bit of... Um, you know, it's a, it's a slightly nuanced approach, um, and that's why I say it's not always entirely necessary in, in, in many situations. But I think uh, uh, it's, as I said, there's, there's lots of there's clinical data to support, um, you know, the, uh, these pharmacodynamic correlates and our ability to achieve these targets uh, these pharmacodynamic targets can be compromised either because of the organism that we're dealing with, which may be resistant, or maybe because of the pathophysiological disturbances. Uh, I think in your your the the other example, I mean, health how, hospital acquired or healthcare associated sepsis, which could be, you know, from let's say uh, if it's related to a complicated intra-abdominal sepsis. I mean, number one there. Obviously, source control is important, but you you are you are very compromised there in terms of uh, ensuring that you you're meeting targets because not only are you uh, often dealing with resistant organisms, so organisms that may be susceptible uh, or let's say maybe even in the intermediate or susceptible increased exposure categories. So the MICs are higher. These are clearly not wild-type organisms. Yes. But you're also dealing with the ability to penetrate to the site of infection. Uh, and I think this is also important. So we, uh, so for hospital-acquired or healthcare-associated intra-abdominal infections, let's say uh, biliary sepsis. Um, I see quite a lot of biliary sepsis. Yeah. We would, you could... You could take an agent that may not even be fully susceptible and knowing what the MIC is, so let's say it's PIPTAS and you're treating an E. coli. If the MIC was, let's say, 16, you could in all likelihood quite comfortably treat that E. coli if it's biliary sepsis related because of the high biliary uh, excretion of piperacillin tazobactam. You get such high concentrations in the biliary system. Right. 
if that MRC was very high above, you know, 128, so now it's a completely resistant isolate, then, you, then you're going to say, no, well, look, let me, let me rather err on the side or, and choose an, an alternative agent. Yes. Um, but at 16, which is, that's not, a, that's not a susceptible E. coli if the MIC is 16. No, um, it isn't. That's certainly not a wild type. But you, you'll get away with it. Um, and we do that We do that a lot. So we, we will treat most of our biliary sepsis, uh, even with elevated MICs, with something like Piprosil and Tazobactam. Uh, and as I say, there, knowing the MIC um, allows us to take advantage not only of, uh, of, of a drug, instead of escalating to a carbapenem, we're always looking for carbapenem sparing options. We're going to use a drug, but we're going to harness the pharmacokinetics of that drug, knowing full well that you're going to get high levels that are well above the MIC of 16 in the biliary system. So that's really fascinating. I don't know if that <laughs> explains it all. It's it's quite a mouthful. <laughs> yeah, and it's really complicated. So I mean, the two examples that you've given us, you know, give a give a good picture to the to the listeners of you know when the MIC is important and what sort of parameters to be looking at. Um, but I think you know that the ultimate message at the end of the day is if you aren't sure, you know, pick up the phone, call the microbiologist, call your infectious diseases physician, call the pharmacist, call somebody who would be able to give you better information about the drug mm. that you have available to you. Yeah, agree. So I also like the fact that you brought up that non-wild type E. coli where you're using the PIPTAS because that brings me to our next question. Um, and we know that antimicrobial resistance is a huge problem and is going to be an increasing problem um, in the future. So can you give us some context as to why MIC-based dosing might be important from the context of antimicrobial resistance? Yes, I think, uh, yeah, as you say, um, antimicrobial resistance is really a, a global problem. Yeah. Um, and treatment perspective really poses uh, significant challenges for, for, for everyone dealing with um, infections. Uh, in my opinion, much of the resistance or antimicrobial resistance we see at a clinical level is really related more to poor use of our antimicrobials. So this relates to incorrect dosing, um, not achieving these pharmacodynamic, pharma, uh, uh, pharma, sorry, your pharmacokinetic, pharmacodynamic targets, mm. and most importantly, Probably the biggest driver is the excessive um, and prolonged use of antimicrobials. Yeah. I think that armed with, uh, you know, the right knowledge uh, allows us to make better, more informed decisions. And, and these decisions have impact not only on, on our individual patient, but also downstream in terms of, of antimicrobial resistance. Um, but really, MIC-based dosing in terms of antimicrobial resistance is, is more about ascertaining when you can use a drug and how to use it effectively, both clinically uh, and in terms of those downstream harmful effects. Mm. So this is where I believe, and it relates to the, to the MIC specifically, is knowing the um, epidemiological cutoff value for that drug-bug combination. And, and that's, as I mentioned, the term earlier, wild type, that the, the ECOF, epidemiological cutoff value, is the MIC that really defines the wild type. So it's, it's the highest MIC that you would see in 
an organism that is considered fully susceptible in its natural state. So there's no acquired phenotypically detectable resistance mechanism to that particular antimicrobial. So if you have to test a whole lot of E. coli, um, going back to PIPTAS, um, and uh, you will you test a whole lot of uh, susceptible wild-type E. coli, you'll get a normal distribution of MICs eight and below. So there'll be one, two, four, and eight kind of distribution. Yes. With let's say most of them sitting around two, four, somewhere in that region. Mm. Uh, anything above eight is no longer wild type. We're now dealing with an organism that has some sort of acquired resistance mechanism. And this is useful then because if you know what that ECOF is and where your wild type distribution is, again, you, you then know that when you're using an antimicrobial, um, your probability of achieving those PKPD targets, that pharmacodynamic target being percentage time above IC, percentage time above MIC is, 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 is greatly enhanced if you're dealing with a wild-type organism. Mm. So I think there it's very useful um, to, to evaluate uh, your, your whole treatment approach in, in, in that particular context context and knowing what that MIC is. Uh, <clears throat> I think though one also has to consider that even, even, even appropriate and considered use of an antimicrobial is always exerting selective pressure on, on, on the bugs, okay? And they will always try to push back. Right. Um, and, and they will, in some way, as long as we are applying that pressure with an antimicrobial, there's going to be some uh, selection of resistance. Uh, and, and there is this concept of the so-called uh, inverted U where at a certain concentration of antibiotic, again, this correlates with a PKPD parameter, we can actually mitigate against the development of these resistant mutants emerging. Mm. So we have have pharmacodynamic targets for clinical efficacy, but there's actually also a target, a potential target to prevent or delay the emergence of these resistance isolates. Obviously, these targets are now even higher, more difficult to achieve. And and again, we have to balance it um, against the uh, toxicity effects and adverse events of, of antimicrobial use. So, so really knowing the MIC of, of different drugs can, can allow one to choose and dose the drug best suited um, to its particular purpose, taking into account, uh, you know, not only the clinical efficacy, but also how do we impact um, on, on resistance? Uh, you know, and, and this is also possibly part of an issue where, uh, I mean, not that we we, we can we, we have time or we're going to discuss it, but where use of of dual agents comes into play rather than just monotherapy, mm-hmm. um, it probably has more of an effect in terms of emergence of resistance than anything else. But but again, one has to balance this with side effects, um, uh, costs, um, toxicity, and so on. So on microbe mail, we always try to include issues that you know relate to children, um, a particularly important mm. patient group. So can you tell us if there are any MIC-related issues that are specifically applicable to children? Uh, 
really they they aren't particularly uh, MIC issues, Vin. I think the the issues that are more important are around uh, uh, PKPD, so the pharmacokinetic. Actually, the pharmacodynamic correlates remain the same. Yeah. It's the pharmacokinetic differences that that are important. Yeah. Um, and it's particularly important in the very young. Um, so when you're looking at neonates or or preterm, um, uh, you, you know, uh, neonates, then then it does become an issue, and, and and it does affect how we dose our antimicrobials. But the MIC per se it remains as is. There's there's no particular issue. Yeah. Okay. So if we have to then take everything you've told us into account about MICs. Can you give the listeners some practical tips when reading microbiology results that have MICs reported on them, or even if they don't have the MICs reported on them, you know, when to ask for them, et cetera, um, and how they should be acting on them? Yeah, sure. I think that this is, this is the challenge we face. <laughs> that is, that's yeah. <laughs> uh, good. Yeah. I, I'm 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 proposing more information because more information, as I said, allows us to make more informed decisions. But I think I think the first first and foremost important thing is to consider that when you see antibiotics on a report and they all even so they're on a MRC, so you just have S's and R's. If they have a full list of S's, do not consider all S's as equal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Okay, they, they're not all equal. They might all be reported as susceptible. But for the particular um, infection that you are dealing with, with, a, with that particular bug, there is a best choice uh, antimicrobial. And, and really, that's, that's what the aim should be. How do I choose the best choice for my patient? Um, and, and here, the pharmacokinetics is important, um, knowing where drugs distribute, how I'm going to get the most drug to the site of infection, um, knowing the type of bug that you're dealing with and how susceptible it may well be. It might just be an S there, but if you know some background about uh, there are certain drug-bug combinations where you just know that the bug is going to be exquisitely susceptible, Mm. um, then you know your likelihood of achieving those pharmacodynamic targets is is greatly... um, uh, improved mm. um, and your chances of they and thereby your chances of clinical success are improved uh, I think that would be my my first and foremost tip uh, I think um, also don't be lulled into the, the thinking that the lowest MIC is is always the best it doesn't doesn't really work like that you cannot compare one drug to another necessarily um, as MIC distributions vary considerably yeah. according to drug bug combination. So it's actually one has to, it's, it's more related to what is the wild type of, for that particular um, uh, bug um, in relation to, to, to the particular drug. So don't just look at an MIC and think, oh, well, this is the lowest one. That's, that's necessarily the best. It's not always the case. Yeah. Uh, I think, if you if you're considering using a drug based on the MIC reported, then always think about what uh, that PKPD target for that drug is and how you intend using that MIC to optimize your dosing regimen to hopefully achieve that target. Because you there is there is dosing associated uh, with 
our clinical breakpoints. I think that's another important uh, thing to know because those, those particular doses are aimed at achieving the pharmacological target um, and in essence will allow us to achieve the, 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 the PKPD target for the, that, that particular drug bug. Um, and then lastly, if possible, and yeah, yes, you would probably need help, uh, Vin, as you said, from your, your friendly microbiologist, you, you should try choose an antibiotic where the MIC is, is below the ECOF. And sometimes that's well known for certain drug bug combinations, sometimes not so well known. But if you have an MIC, um, it's, that information is, is easily, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's easily um, garnered and, and you can find it out quite easily. Maybe, like you say, with a bit of help yeah. from some friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'm glad you mentioned all of these tips and points. Um, these are quite useful. And I think, you know, the, the main point here is I think a lot of clinicians will look at a microbiology report briefly, like really quickly. Where are all the S's? Let me quickly choose one. Um, and, you know, it's not a box of mm. Smarties where you just, you know, pull out one random antibiotic that has an S <laughs> next to it. It's a bit more complicated than that. <laughs> Yes, yeah, 100%. And you've kind of, you know, sort of touched the tip of the iceberg here. And there's so much more we can talk about, but um, we're coming to the end of our episode. And as always, before I ask you for your take-home message, we'll switch to our spotlight feature for the episode. And I have a mini micro message for you to listen to. Okay, I'm all ears. Hello. My name is Malaika. I'm eight years old and I live in Johannesburg, South Africa. If you didn't already know, microbes are really important in the world. Without them, we would not be here. Every molecule of oxygen that we breathe in is made by a microbe. Thank you, microbes. Okay. Very cute. Uh, um, uh, they, they're learning at an early age now the importance of the microbiome. I like it. Yeah. I really like it. That's clear. Okay. <laughs> yeah. They're definitely going to be one up on us, this generation that's coming yes. after us. Uh, they're going to look after their own bugs which, rather than just try to destroy them as, as, as we have done to our, uh, uh, yeah, much to our, um, let's say, detriment. Yeah. But we all also in our old age, I think we can be we can be pretty sure that this generation is going to look after us and our bugs. <laughs> yeah. So Warren, do you have any final words of advice related to MIC testing and interpretation for our listeners? Yes, Vin, uh, famous last words, I think, is. Uh, as as with most things in medicine, it's it's not getting simpler. No, it's not. Um, true. We we know more, uh, we understand more. So now we need to apply more. And and like I said, it's uh, it's a it's an applied science. Um, antimicrobial therapy. I think choosing antimicrobials, like you said, it's it's not a eeny meeny miny mo exercise. Yeah. Nor should it be. Oh, what am I familiar with? What dose do I know? Yeah. Um, we are moving more towards this personalized medicine. So antibiotics, similarly, there's individualized dosing. Um, we should not be using 
uh, you know, the necessarily specifically for certain drugs where it's milligram per kilogram dosing, you must be used. There's no standard dose. We must be dosing appropriately. Yeah. So I think uh, I think we should really uh, be getting our prescribers to delve into um, their their micro reports a bit deeper um, to try get the most out of it for their patient at the end of the day. Mm. Um, and I think to the people that's us microbiologists producing the reports, I think we need to provide the detail. We need to um, empower the prescribers um, to make those better decisions. Uh, for their patients. And, and in my mind, that requires uh, greater detail, more information uh, in, in our um, antimicrobial susceptibility reports. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Thanks, Warren, for joining me. You've given the listeners a lot of insight into an incredibly important topic, and it's often overlooked, I think. Um, so thanks again for joining me on Mail, and I hope you'll be able to join me again sometime soon. I hope so, Vin. Thank you very much. It's been great. Um, yeah, thanks for the opportunity to share, uh, as you say, a topic that I think is needs a bit more airtime. <laughs> so thank you. Remember, if you enjoyed this episode, click on the feedback link in the show notes and rate this episode. And we'd love any additional feedback you have by email or even on social media. That's it for me, Vin, your micro messenger. See you again soon with more Contagious Mail.